If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Whether or not you realize it, you wake up each day in a war zone as the forces of good and evil fight for control. Are you equipped for the battle? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues the series, Spiritual Warfare, with a look at God's battle plan, as well as the protection and encouragement believers can count on. To introduce the conclusion of his message, are we really in a war? Here's David. Well, you know, that's a very perceptive question that we're asking, because if you did what I do, if you were a pastor and you watched Christians and dealt with Christians and and ministered to Christians and loved Christians, you would see that for many, this whole idea of any kind of a militant spirit um, is just not there. Uh, They're trying to make sure they survive and have a good life. And they're not really aware of the fact that we're in this for the long, for the long haul, that we have an enemy who's after us and that uh, this is a battle to the finish, spiritual warfare. But if we learn how to use the tools that God has given us, we don't have to be defeated. We can be victorious. That's what this is all about. And um, I hope you'll join with us today as we continue our discussion of this question. Are we really in a war? Let me put it this way. Do you believe you are really in a war? Have you had any warfare lately? Are you winning? Are you losing? What's happening every day? in your spiritual life. We're in the sixth chapter of Ephesians in that great section that teaches all of this. So with your Bibles open and your heart open, here's part two of Are We Really in a War? Now, one of the things that some people struggle with when they read a passage like this is it says, are we not supposed to be fighting against Satan? Should we not be taking the fight to him? The bottom line is that Christ has already won that battle. That battle has already been won, but Satan is trying to discourage us, and God has not called us to go and do warfare with Satan, although we have to have the armaments to do that, and as we'll see in a short time, most of the armaments are for a defensive purpose, and only prayer and the Word of God are used offensively. But this whole matter of standing, oh, that's a hard thing, isn't it? Stand firm. Dig in your heels. Be the person God wants you to be. I read a story I won't ever forget that sparked my imagination about what it means to stand boldly and humbly against Satan. This story is taken from nature. The story paints a chilling picture of what Christians are called to do in the spiritual realm. 
In his book, The Animal Dialogues, author and naturalist Craig Giles recounts his encounter with a mountain lion in the Arizona's Blue Range wilderness. Listen to this story. Approaching a water hole from downwind, Childs spots an unsuspecting mountain lion drinking water. When it finishes drinking, it walks slowly away into a cluster of junipers. After a few minutes, Childs walks to the water hole to identify tracks in the mud and make his notes. And just before he bends down to look closer, he scans the perimeter, and there among the shadows of the junipers, just 30 feet away, he sees a pair of eyes. He expects the lion to run away, but it walks into the sunlight toward him. Childs pulls his knife and stares into the eyes of the lion. He knows what he must do. More importantly, he knows what he must not do. In his journal, he writes, Mountain lions are known to take down animals six, seven, eight times their size. Their method, attack from behind, clamp onto the spine at the base of the prey's skull and snap the spine. The top few vertebrae are the target, housing respiratory and motor skills that cease instantly when the cord is cut. Mountain lions have stalked people for miles. One woman survived an attack and escaped by foot on a road. The lion shortcut the road several miles further and killed her from behind. Childs continues, I hold firm to my ground and I do not even intimate that I will back off. If I run, it is certain I will have a mountain lion all over me. If I give it my back, I will only briefly feel its weight on me against the ground. The canine teeth will open my vertebrae without breaking a single bone. The mountain lion begins to move to my left, and I turn, keeping my face on it, my knife at my right side. It paces to my right, trying to get around on my other side to get behind me. I turn right, staring at it. My stare is about the only defense that I have. Childs maintains that defense. He does the same thing. He just keeps staring at him, continues to try to provoke him to run, turning left, then right, back and forth, again and again, now just 10 feet away. Finally, the standoff ends. The lion turns and walks away defeated by a man who knew what and what not to do in his presence. And the Bible says that the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. We are to stand strong in the midst of his attempts to destroy us. When we run, we open ourselves up to ultimate defeat. We can only stare him down in the power of the Lord, but keep him in view. Don't turn away from him. Don't give him an opportunity to come along your flank and destroy you. Now I understand what it says when the Bible says, Therefore, brothers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Stand therefore, and having done all, to stand. You say, Pastor Jeremiah, how do we give ground to the enemy? 
I don't think I need to explain that, but let me just mention it to you. When we know what is right, and we compromise that in our minds in order to indulge something we want to do, we have given ground to the enemy. When we hear the voice of God speaking to us, and for reasons of our own comfort, or perhaps even out of fear, we postpone our obedience. We open up the door for the enemy to make an attack upon us. The Bible says we are to stand strong, stand firm, and stand against him. We don't have to defeat him. He's already defeated. But we need to stand against his attempts to make us a laughingstock among others. The Bible says we're to prepare for the devil because he's like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may, and the word is devour. What do you think Satan's desire for you and for me, what do you think it is? I'll tell you what it is. He wants to devour us. He wants primarily to devour our influence for Christ. He wants to so change who we are so that we no longer have any power of commitment or testimony. He wants us to fall into fleshly things that destroy our ability to stand for the Lord. That's what he's seeking to do. If we understood that as we should understand it, we would not let him get one little toe in the door of our lives. A word of encouragement. Then there's a word of explanation in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The Bible says that we are in a war. But notice the text says that we are wrestling. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but on the contrary, we wrestle with the enemy. It doesn't say we box. It doesn't say we play ball with. It says we wrestle. The term is one of great intensity. It pictures a man with a grip on another man, pressing hard, straining every muscle to pin him to the ground. He is using every ounce of energy to resist. And for the child of God, it is the straining of every moral muscle, the testing of every spiritual sinew. We are not called to a time of relaxation in the summer sun. We are called to a grim struggle with unseen forces, and the fight is real. The picture that Paul paints is intriguing. Wrestlers wear very little armor, just a thin, tight jumpsuit, and yet the Christian is described as one who wrestles while wearing full armor against an enemy who has already been disarmed and defeated. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, Christ made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Note carefully how Paul describes this one against whom we are fighting. Our enemies are not people. You may think they are, but they are not. The Bible says, for we do not wrestle against, what's the rest of a class? Flesh and blood. Our enemies are not people. You say, oh, pastor, I could get the Christian life together if it weren't for, and give me the names of the five people who are standing in your way. But those are not your enemies. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We must see beyond people. Satan may use people to persecute us, to lie to us or cheat us or hurt us, sometimes even uses people to kill us. But our real enemy lurks in the shadows of the unseen world, moving people as pawns on a chessboard of time 
As long as we see people as enemies and wrestle against them, we will spend our strength in vain. We will have nothing left for the real war. And then there's a cosmic struggle that is declared in verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The great Welsh minister, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote, The great trouble with the world today and with the church, unfortunately, is that they know so little about the devil and his principalities and powers. Much teaching concerning holiness and sanctification never even mentions the devil and these powers at all. The problem is regarded solely as something confined to ourselves. Here we learn about our truest enemies and the ultimate cause of our world situation. Here is a presentation of the domain of Satan. The forces of evil in this world are led by Satan. He is possessed of a power that we poor mortals can never understand. It is clear in Scripture that he is in control of and commands a great army of fallen angels. In this force of evil that is described here in Ephesians, we are told that his effort, his army, is organized. There is a hierarchy in the domain of Satan. The principalities in the Greek language means the first or the head officers. The power that is here referred to has to do with staff officers. The rulers are divisional commanders with the rank and file is the spiritual hosts of wickedness. In other words, there is an organized effort on the part of Satan to do his work in this world. He has charted this world and organized it, and we are part of his organized plan. We fall onto his chart someplace. I have to believe that because we have Christian schools and radio and television that reaches all over the world, we get some extra attention from him on occasion. Paul's point here is that the Christian life as a whole is a profound spiritual warfare of cosmic propositions in which the ultimate opposition to the advance of the gospel and moral integrity springs from evil, supernatural powers under the control of the God of this world. We're in this battle. I'm in this battle. And during this series, we're going to talk about how we get prepared so that we can stand. We're going to talk about every one of the implements of this armor and and what it means to us. This is the covering in the battle. In the 13th through the 18th verse, the Word of God tells us that this warfare is one for which we may prepare. This warfare is not one that we have to go into unprotected. And that is why this series of messages is so critical. It can help us if we will listen carefully and apply these truths. It can help us to walk out into a hostile environment and to do warfare for God and not be defeated all the time. For our commander and chief has already won the war, and he wants us to get in on the victory every day that we live. But you can't win unless you're well armed. You can't win unless you sense the provisions that are before you. And that is why Paul said to the Ephesians, Take unto you the whole armor of God. Men and women, I want you to understand that he did not tell us that if we prayed right, God would give this to us. He did not say that we should look around and see if we could find it and maybe we could buy it somewhere. He said it is the Christian's personal responsibility to appropriate the armor of God in his own life. What I am preaching to you in these weeks is not something God wants to do for you. It is something God has told you to do for yourself. 
He has told you to get the armor and put it on. It is your job to do that. If you get defeated in the warfare, if you are shot in an unprotected place because you are without armor, it is not God's fault. (laughs) The armor is sitting there waiting for you to put it on. He has asked you to do it. It is your personal duty. It is your primary duty. It is your paramount duty. And it is your perpetual duty to put on the armor of God. One commentator has written, and here we go again with this passive attitude. There is a teaching which says, Christian people, you have been making great mistake. You've been trying to fight this battle. You must stop doing so. It says that there is only one thing to do. Hand it over to the Lord and all will be well. But you cannot fit that into the teaching we have here. I do not find the Apostle Paul telling me to hand it over to the Lord and that he will fight my battles for me while I just sit back and enjoy the fruit of the victory. It is not here. I have to fight. And I can't fight if I'm not protected. I will be an instant casualty. Some of you remember that on December the 8th, 2004, a single question from a young soldier touched off a media firestorm U.S. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld had come to deliver a pep talk to the troops at Camp Buring in Kuwait, but the usually unflappable secretary found himself blindsided by a bold query. As news cameras rolled, Army Specialist Thomas Wilson of the 278th Regimental Combat Team asked Rumsfeld this question, quote, Why do we soldiers have to dig through local landfills for pieces of scrap metal and compromised ballistic glass to up-armor our vehicles? Specialist Wilson clearly felt vulnerable, as if he were being sent into battle without proper protection. As Christians, however, we shouldn't have that fear, and there's no reason for us to have it. Our Supreme Commander generously equips us with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, but it's up to us to put these on, to appropriate them. Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand and in the evil day, having done all, to stand. So in these next weeks, we're going to talk about how you put on the armor of God. My friend Warren Wiersbe writes in one of his books about how every morning when he gets out of bed, first thing he does, he puts on the armor of God. And he tells us how he does it. It's a really intriguing story. Before we're finished with this series, I hope we can learn how to do that. Because I have to tell you, friends, I don't know how it's with you, but the battle is heating up. And the challenges are getting greater. And the testing time is here. And if it isn't, it's just around the corner. And if we are not prepared, I guess the thing I want to say, it's not the fault of our commander-in-chief. He's given us everything we need in this manual to do battle victoriously. The story is told about a famous painting that hung in a European gallery Nobody seemed to know how long it had been there. It was just a very interesting painting. The painting showed a chessboard with the devil sitting on a chair on one side and a look of gloating triumph all over his face. Across from him was a dejected, forlorn, defeated-looking young man sitting there still studying the board. 
On one occasion, Paul Morphy, the only American chess champion of the world prior to Bobby Fischer, visited Europe and he visited that gallery where he stood looking at that painting for hours. He watched excitedly as he looked at the positioning on the board. He said, bring me a chess board. There is one, only one, mind you, but there is one move whereby I can save him. <laughs> they went and got a chessboard. I don't know what happened except that he had figured out that they had put the thing together in the painting wrong, and he had come up with a way to defeat the picture. I'm reminded that Christ, the Lord of the universe, looked down from heaven and saw our plight. The world was checkmated by the devil, but the Redeemer of man made one move that could free us from gloom in life and doom in eternity. He died to free us from Satan's bondage. I often think about this when I read this story about Napoleon Bonaparte. Napoleon Bonaparte once spread a map on a table in front of all his men during the war. He put his finger down on a portion of the map and he said, Sirs, if it were not for that red spot, I could conquer the world and he had his finger on the British Isles. I am certain that the devil gathers his lieutenants around him and puts his map on the table, takes his index finger, and he points at Calvary where the blood of Jesus Christ was shed, and he says, Sirs, if it were not for that red spot, I could conquer the world. But thank God for the red spot. <laughs> We are victorious, and this whole series is about living the victory that God has guaranteed to us through the death of Christ on the cross. Not being a casualty. God doesn't want us to be victims. He wants us to be victors. Oh, God, help us not to be casualties, but to be victorious in this fight. I hope you will pray with me that God will mightily use this time together and that he will protect me from the enemy who would very much like for you not to hear what we are going to be talking about in these next days. Somebody once asked me why it is that everything is done so drastically to try to keep people from reading the book of Revelation. When I first taught the book of Revelation, I had a little survey. How many of you ever heard a series on the Revelation? Most people had never not. And I asked pastors, how many of you have taught through the book of Revelation? Most of them had never done it. Just sort of almost like there's a subtle thing that's gone on to keep people from the book of Revelation. Oh, it's supposed to be a hard book. It is not a hard book. It's one of the easiest books in the Bible because it's self-interpreting. The Revelation says this and this and this, and if you keep reading it, it says, and that's what this and this and this means. Where else do you find that in the Bible? Secondly, the book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible where there's a blessing for those who read it at the front and a blessing for those who read it at the back. The book of Revelation is one of the most important books to read because the Bible says you will be blessed twice if you read the book. But hardly anybody reads the book. And one day I was talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor, and I said, well, why do you think that is? He said, I think Satan keeps him from reading it. I said, well, why would he do that? He said, well, how would you like to have somebody have written a book about your demise? Hmm. That's what he's done, isn't it? And that's the joy of this whole thing. We are in this battle, but we're not in doubt as to how it's going to turn out. We need to be what we are. We're victors already. We need to start acting like that. The devil has no right to you or to me or to any of the other people of God. We are God's people. He does not have any right to us unless we give it to him. 
And the way we keep that from happening is we put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the evil one and having done all to stand. Amen. Hey, today and yesterday we talked about this. Are we really in a war? Tomorrow and Friday, we're going to answer the next question. Who is the enemy? Who are we fighting against and what is that all about? Uh, during uh, the month of June, we're making available a very wonderful book called Answers to Questions about Spiritual Warfare, but it's not a big um, book like we normally release, but it's the smaller answer book version, the kind that you can hold in your hand and your hand uh, encompasses it. And as you open this book, there's 211 pages full of questions about spiritual warfare. I mean, like, who are the demons? Are there different kinds of demons? Can a believer be possessed by a demon? What armor has God given me for warfare? How does Satan tempt to imitate God? These are just things I've just pulled off the different pages at the front of the book that tell you what's in the book. I'd love for you to have this. Here's how you can get your copy. Send a gift today to Turning Point to help us with the costs of airing this program during the month of June. This is how we survive. This is how we move forward because of your help. You join with us, and we uh, we carry the torch into the next leg of the race. So ask for it when you send your gift to Turning Point today. And uh, let us let us give you this book to say thank you in a very special way and give you something else to help you as you battle in the spiritual warfare. And then don't forget, we have a a beautiful little warrior's prayer bookmark. It's a glossy, double-sided, three-and-a-half by eight-and-a-half bookmark, a visual reminder of the battle and that, that it's the Lord's, and it gives you the prayer that you can pray as you put on the spiritual armor every day. It's easy into your Bible, and you don't have to do anything for this. Just ask for it. We'd love to send it to you. And we'd love for you to be with us tomorrow. Don't forget to join us same time, same place. I'm David Jeremiah. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Will you tell us one way that you're being blessed by Turning Point? Write to Turning Point for God of Canada. P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's a great way to stay on guard and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Spiritual Warfare here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. I truly appreciate the Bible's pearls of wisdom relating to everyday life. For instance, the 19th century English poet Thomas Bailey gave us this well-known phrase, 
Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Most of us would recognize from experience the wisdom of that saying. But nearly 3,000 years ago, here's how Solomon approached the same subject. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. (laughs) Well, in a world where more is better, choosing not to do an otherwise good thing seems odd. But that's why I love the Bible. It makes me stop and think before acting. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's wisdom for life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.